Hello, this is Mary. And this is Chandler. And you're listening to The Miss Fisher Files. Welcome back, everybody. I am so, so excited for this episode. So we are doing an end of season one extravaganza. Double whammy. Yes. So we are covering today season one, episodes 12 and 13. And 13. Mm -hmm. It's like the Baker's Dozen (laughs) show. It is. So Murder in the Dark and King Memsey's Curse are what we are talking about today. And if... You have not watched these shows. You need to stop. Yeah, stop what you're now. Doing right now. Turn them on. Watch them. Then Go come watch back that. with and your then cup of tea. Yeah. But since now, if you're like me and you have seen it, but it's been a while, I think we should do a little recap. We definitely should. Okay. Yes. Especially since we're covering two episodes. Exactly. So um, they're actually, it's funny, these two episodes are continuations of each other. They go together, but they're pretty different mm-hmm. they really in are. style, tone, mm-hmm. scope. Like they're, they're pretty different. Yeah. Um, so episode 12, Murder in the Dark, is um, the incredible engagement party episode, the costume party at Aunt P's house, which by the way was Miranda Otto's house in episode one, just shot from a different <laughs> angle, all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the Rip and Lee estate and it gets reused huh. many, many times. Yep. Yeah. Um, but that is the episode where uh, things come full circle and we find out more about what happened to Franny's sister Jane and Murdoch Foyle is back and there's the most world's most terrifying costume party. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we meet uh, cousin Arthur. and Who is really story. integral to the, the yeah. plot. And I think the perf- his performance is just incredible. He's I think he's really one good. of the most memorable characters in the whole series, yeah, really. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, yeah, what else should we say about this episode? Um, well, okay, so that episode, yeah, we have the great party, and then it kind of runs into King Memsey's curse, where we focus really on foil at this point. Yes, um, and we find out alive. exactly his brand of craziness. Yeah, yeah, um, it's some epic Pretty over craziness. the top, yeah. And yep. it's, it, it covers um, former students of his who are being systematically murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in really gruesome, awful yeah, ways, pretty awful. And he's leaving a trail of clues for Franny to um, lure her to, in yep, because as we she, find out, she is the object of his all along. She's his fourth she's been, goddess. Yes. Yeah. So she does also follow those clues, of course, cause it's Franny and, mm. um, things go down in the university basement. <laughs> <laughs> Don't they always, right? Isn't that where it always happens? It's like the haunted amusement park, right? <laughs> yeah, creepy university basement with the antiquities in, in the, you know, in yeah, the antiquity in the, storage. In the wooden crates where we've got, you know, yeah. sarcophagi and, and other things. Sarcophagi? What is the I plural? always call it sarcophagi. Always. Because I'm always using yeah. this word now. Like when I have said it. I, I, I feel like guy. there's a really wonderful bad pun in there somewhere, but I'm, I'm, just, I'm going to refrain. <laughs> <laughs> Fun guy. Anyway. Um, so... I, I am so excited. I don't even know. I have nine 
nine pages of notes. I was just about to ask you to tell the listeners at home how many pages of notes you have. Single-spaced, nine pages of notes. And you should know, as a perfect illustration of our different styles here, my notes every week are complete messes in my terrible handwriting. I'm a lettering artist, by the way, but I have terrible handwriting. (laughs) That's so funny. And completely illegible, even to me. And it's all written in pencil in very tiny hand on front and back of a eight and a half by 11 sheet. And then Mary shows up with her incredible (laughs) outlined typed notes. I try. So especially since we were doing like a two-parter, I really tried to categorize everything that I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Um, It was really hard. And I know that I'm going to be jumping around and I'm sorry. I hope everybody is okay following because there's just so much, so much good stuff here. So this, okay. We are going to talk about them as a whole, these two episodes. Yep. But like you said, they are very different. They and are. I think yeah. Murder in the Dark, the first one, is probably one of my like top three episodes yeah. of oh, the entire totally. series. And in because fact, I think it kind of overshadows the last one. Like it, I kind oh, it of like does. if I if I every time I think of the series, like the one I always want to rewatch is Murder in the Dark. Yes. Not it's so not the cinematic. Mm-hmm. They they hit all of these great notes. The pacing is amazing. There's like real terror with oh it will put you in therapy it is terrifying (laughs) yeah and I think we've talked about this before but my husband is not good with scary stuff and I kind (laughs) of am not either I used to laugh when I was Mm -hmm. young but then I turned 30 and now I'm in my mid-30s and I hate scary stuff all of a sudden but I knew this one was I saw it before my husband so I had already seen it once when he got around to seeing it and he was like oh let's watch the next one I said no we should wait till it's daylight because this is scary. <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 let's watch it. And then I watched it and we watched it together. And he was like, why did you show that to me? So, <laughs> so funny. I take it you have not watched The Babadook then. I have not. Yeah. And I would like to because I want to support Essie Davis, but I don't think I can do it. I, I think, think I'm, I'm gearing up. I'm going to do it. I think it's I'm a big happen. fat chicken. Yeah. I think we mentioned that earlier about The Babadook being scary. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's... It's really good. It's like actually scary in parts. It's very funny. You know why in parts. it's scary? That wolf costume. The wolf, co- the wolf also, costume is the scariest thing in I the world. I really want to call out the music, which is something I rarely True. do because I don't. I, I have just some generally music notes don't. too. Yeah. Do you? Mm-hmm. Okay. Go for it. Um, so, like I said, I don't usually notice music. I mean, I know that it's used effectively, and if you don't notice it, it's probably very very effective. Yeah. It's like Um, typography. It's like the invisible plot device. Right. It should just be there and it should work with the rest of the story and support it, but not like stand out. Mm -hmm. But we've had different themes throughout the show. So we talked about kind of the honky tonk piano theme as like the the out of tune piano. Yeah. Yeah. Out of tune piano. That disappeared. When they got together. When they got together. I think it was just like the We don't get any more wonky piano for them. Right. But it was their little theme and it was cute and it was used sparingly, but well. And in this episode, we start this new theme that will actually be brought back in season two of the creepy, high-pitched, screechy singing voices. They're like Ooh. very, um, I can't, it's like, Ooh. oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's used um, in Murder in the Dark really well to kind of, you know, Are you start- talking about early on? Yeah. Yeah, because this is what I wrote down, because... That if if we were talking about the same thing, that is the if it don't mean a thing, it ain't got if it, it don't uh, if it ain't got that swing, whatever. Mm-hmm. It don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. Sorry, I'm having a total tongue twister <laughs> here. <laughs> um, 
The Watatu, is that what you're thinking of? No. Oh, because no. that's what jumped out at me. Because oh, is that the one with Mr. Butler? Like, is that what yes, they're playing when, when yeah, he's yeah, high yeah. and he's when running he's around? Yeah. It's great because, so first of all, that's one of my favorite, it's a great song. That is my favorite arrangement of that song. It's that's really the good. original arrangement. It's Duke Ellington oh. and sung by the wonderful Ivy Anderson, who is a black um, singer from huh. California, from Gilroy, the garlic capital of all places. Um, <laughs> okay. That was the original arrangement of the song, and I think the first recording of it, which, nitpicky, it was from 1931, not 1928, uh, just wow. saying. But that song is so jaunty and mm-hmm. fun and everything, but there is a little bit of a sinister edge to it that That's I never true. really noticed until they paired it with this episode. And even though it's at the most lighthearted point of the uh-huh. episode... It still felt a little... Oh, interesting. Like the seamy underbelly. Right. It's, like it was an it was omen like, yeah. for the future. Yeah. It, huh. it kind of took on a new feel to it. Wow. That's a really good call. And her, Ivy Anderson's vocal quality has that... Mm-hmm. She's got that high-pitched, kind of scratchy... Yeah. Kind of like... Is it Desi Hines who was in uh, The Green Mill Murder? She was a singer. Yes. Kind of a similar, like... Yes. A, and it's that same thing. It's like this, this, you know, these black singers from the jazz age mm-hmm. who often had a very unusual vocal quality. Or like I think of Billie Holiday who's not yeah, in this, right. but she has a very unusual vocal quality. And when she uses it for creepy ends like <laughs> Strange Fruit, it's mm-hmm. absolutely terrifying. Yeah, it's really chilling. Yeah. Yeah, huh. chilling is a great word for that. So yeah, it's interesting you brought that up because that vocal quality is there in that song. I really had not thought of that song, but you're right. There is something kind of dark yeah. in there. Dark though, and sexy and yeah, like, it's, yeah. Huh. Well, this, yeah, the, the thing I was referring to is just something they use throughout the episode. And I'm trying to remember, I know that we hear it when um, we watch Jane getting ready for the costume party oh, and she's yes. putting on her red hood. Red, little Red Riding Hood. The M. Night out. Shyamalan Red yes. Hood. Yes. Hello. Totally. And I, the music thing makes me think of him, in fact. And the way they his, film it with, like, there's a strong light on her when yeah. she's wearing the Red Hood. All I could think of, like, it's the village! It's the village! Yeah. <laughs> but he Put also, so... Sorry, tangent. So as I was thinking about the music, I did think of his movies in particular because yeah. he has always used sound so effectively. But they have this creepy, high-pitched, singy voice thing mm-hmm. that they use really well. Um, and I think it is that scene when Jane's getting ready for I the think party that's that right. when, when we first hear it, but we also hear it like when the phone is ringing because yeah. Franny's calling home to warn Mr. Butler that like Jane is on her way and Foyle's trying to get her. Um, and so it's really, really effective at just amping up the chill factor. Yeah in the show. And so poor Arthur, poor maligned yeah, Arthur know. that we actually suspect him at first because we, yeah, he's, I mean, for, for reasons he is suspected reasons. because he is the common thread between these two, right. These like the, the disappearance of Franny's sister and then this murder yes. of, uh, what's her name? I just blanked on her name. The poor girl. Marigold. Marigold. Yes. I knew it was a Downton Abbey name because it was like that. <laughs> That time period, I think everybody was named. And can Marigold I just say we are point. drinking tea right now with Downton Abbey themed um, coffee? What are these called? I Java jackets. Java jackets. <laughs> oh my gosh, I hate that phrase, but that is what I it know, is. But Downton yeah. Abbey Java jackets. These are promotional Downton Abbey Java jackets. Official PBS branded. Yes. So 
the music. And and in this episode, um, Murder in the Dark, it's the high-pitched, creepy singing. And then in the next one, it gets deeper and it becomes this, like, I don't know, almost like a heart. Like a thumping. whale. It's, it's, I think it's French horns and they go... Bomb. Oh, right. And it's like like your pulse almost. So I've been calling it the bomb theme in my head. But that's used in the second. And I, so that's Who interesting too. Who put the too. bomp and the bomb a lop I think it's French horns, but I'm not positive. I'm sure that there are music enthusiasts who are like, uh, no, that is not a French horn. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was interesting that we go from like the high creepy eerie down to the like guttural yeah and it's done really really well yeah um I in fact have an entire section of my notes called chilling stuff chilling there's a lot you know there's a lot of chilling stuff in both of these episodes and and this is this is atypical I mean normally like there are a couple yeah spots where you're like ooh, but not usually actually scary this takes it to the next level there's also like there is so much I don't know. There's, there's a lot of gold in here. Like we get to hear the, the only time I think in the entire series where we hear any character say, good eye, like it's <laughs> like we're in a crocodile Dundee film and we get to hear Bert say it. And he says it in this deadpan. The only way, like the only way he knows how deadpan and hilarious. When does he say it? When he shows up at Aunt P's house. Oh, and the, he's, she's a, he's the ringer and she clearly doesn't approve because what does right. she ever approve of? Um, and, and Franny's like, introducing them to yeah. Ampy. Yeah, that's right. And when he says he's pa- panda bloody bear. <laughs> I love that. It's so <laughs> Wrote good. Wrote down that quote. You have to play the part. What part is that? Part penguin? Part, part panda bloody, bloody bear. <laughs> you do the accent so well. <laughs> also, we get to see Mr. Butler get high on hashish. Because, yeah. hello. That was such a great scene. But now we finally have a reason for him being asleep when someone's getting... <laughs> Yeah. Getting threatened. <laughs> Maybe uh, that was, was that the problem before all those times that he arrived 10 Maybe. minutes too was late? He just, no. Does he have a problem? Is he? Do we need to stage an is intervention? Is he a stoner? Is Mr. Butler a stoner? <laughs> <laughs> oh, one can hope. I love that scene where he's sneaking the fudge. That's so good. It's so good. And they said they have, the, that's when the music begins. Because it's like this tra-la-la, taking a little tea break. And then he eats the fudge. And then a few minutes later, he's tearing off his clothes in the middle of the pool and running around the lawn. It's so So good. good. It was such, I mean, it's really good comedic, like a comedic relief part of this otherwise kind of scary episode. And I love how when everyone's trying to find out, when both Dot and Aunt P are trying to find well, what's wrong with the fudge, and then her son Guy says, "Oh, it's what is it? It's got raisins in it." You or wouldn't something. like it has figs. Figs. And she's and like, she's like and then Franny says to Dot, "Like, just trust me. Don't press yeah. me on dear Dot, or you'd be very shocked." <laughs> so good. She doesn't usually protect Dot, but I think there are a few times she does, and it's just not worth it. Not worth getting into it. It's so funny. So we did talk about how these two episodes are very different, and so this one is really, in my mind, very cinematic. It's basically Mm. like a movie, a short movie. It's funny, because I thought of the second one as being really cinematic. I actually wrote some things down as being really cinematic. (sighs) It's that cinematic in a more campy way. I think certainly so in like end, a hello Indiana Jones sort of way, but there's this moment where she's it's towards the end when she's in the university basement and it shows her she's walking in with a gun and this the background has got this golden light on it and mm. we first see Franny in silhouette 
And then as she comes towards the camera, she comes into the light. Hmm. And I remember like, I thought of it the first time I saw it and I've now seen that episode maybe four or five times. And every time I'm like, God, that's so cinematic. Like huh. it's that moment. It's yeah. so beautifully lit and shot. And I'm, and actually my first thought was, wow, high budget. <laughs> <laughs> they blew all of the money on yeah, that last episode. Like getting yeah. that shot. Huh? Um, yeah, that's true. I guess it's, so they're both cinematic, just in just different, different ways. ways. The second one yeah. I just think is a little more over the top. It is, and that's part of why it's not my favorite. Mm-hmm. However, it's very, it fits the period. Yeah, it does. Perfectly. I mean, absolutely perfectly. And I don't know if we should talk about this now or. I, so I went down some rabbit holes. I have some. There I have are some serious research. rabbit holes. I was to do. so curious to find out which rabbit holes you went down. Probably the same ones. <laughs> I, I went down the Egypt rabbit hole because. Me too. Me too. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Okay. So, yeah. So, um. I personally, like I would, I could, I feel like I could write a paper on arguing that the entire Roaring Twenties flapper aesthetic came from Egyptian revival. Oh, wow. Aesthetics. Yeah. Um, it was extremely popular. Like during, if you think about like the 1880s, 1870s, the impressionist era when like Monet and, and all these other guys were painting, um, that era was heavily influenced by Japan, and they mm-hmm. even had the, the French had a term for it, um, Japonisme, <laughs> which um, in eight in eighteen fifty four, um, Japan opened to the West for the first time, opened with trade to the West, and so in eighteen in the Meiji period, which was like the eighteen sixties through the early nineteen hundreds, um, both. Europe and Japan were heavily influenced by each other. So if you look at Japanese art from that time, hmm. they have weird wonky prints of like steam engines and things that they hmm. didn't know how they worked, but they were incorporating <laughs> them into their art. And in the West, people, everybody was wearing kimonos in their, in their Manet paintings. And huh. um, Van Gogh was, was doing um, plum tree paintings in the Japanese style. So in the same way that that influenced that era, the Egyptians heavily influenced the 1920s because there are several reasons. For one, um, in 1917, or I'm sorry, 1916, there was a silent film called Cleopatra that starred um, Theda, Theda Barr, mm-hmm. I think Theda, is how you say Theda Barra. it. Barra? Barra, Theda Barra, yeah. Um, I have a great aunt who was named after her. Nice. <laughs> My great aunt, Titi, uh, is named Theda May, and she was named after her, apparently. Huh. She was born in, like, 1916, so maybe it okay. was because of that movie. Wow. Um, Grauman's Egyptian Theater in Hollywood opened in 1922. Um, King Tutankhamun's tomb was discovered in 1922. Um, and a lot of the themes that you see in everything from, like, Cartier jewelry to people's fashions to stained glass windows, you see, like, the peacock feathers or mm-hmm. faience turquoise or coal eyeliner right down to Phryne's hairdo. All of these things were heavily, heavily influenced by the Egyptian aesthetic. And their term for it was Egyptian revival. Yeah. Right down to Phryne's decor, that stenciling uh-huh. that she has in her stairwell. Oh. Totally Egyptian. Oh, that's true. And that turquoise wall color that she has, I mean, it's just very, it's all of a piece with mm-hmm. this. So well, when she shows up as Cleopatra, I'm like, yeah. I was trying to, I loved thinking about when that tomb was discovered. So mm. it happened in 22 and there, there were, it, w- it re- received worldwide press. Oh, like, it, was it was a, a big deal. And it was, it was, I think maybe even since, I think that was like the biggest intact discovery mm-hmm. because up until that there were, of course, 
digs in Egypt and everything else for decades by that point. But there were so many tomb robbers and things over mm-hmm. the intervening centuries that it was it was rare even by then to find something so intact. And yeah. So it was a big deal when they found... Yeah, it was a world sensation like from, from the beginning. So it makes perfect sense that it would dictate styles yeah. for years to come. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm really fascinated by this. I'm really fascinated by how world cultures influence like art history and design mm-hmm. and everything. And, and, um, I think, I think this is, I mean, obviously this isn't as big on the world scale as say like first contact in the Americas, but that was a major exchange of aesthetics and information and everything. Right. And I feel like there have been these touchstone points throughout history. And I feel like the Meiji area era in Japan was a big one. Mm-hmm. And the King Tut's tomb was another big one. I just, this, this stuff is really fascinating. To it me. also kind of it goes into the detective genre, the mystery genre really well because of Agatha Christie. So that's one of the directions yes. I went with this because she married an archaeologist. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, Max Malowin. And they actually met in what is now Iraq um, wow. when he was on a dig and they ended up getting married and she would go with him for like three to four months at wow. a time at these different digs. And um, and so that factors into her books quite a bit too. But I think... There's, There's a whole series of mysteries called the Amelia Peabody Mysteries, oh, yeah. which I think are kind of terrible. I haven't but read them, but yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah. But like she did Murder in Mesopotamia and um, Murder on the Orient Express is... Oh, right, of course. You know, when you think about they're of going course. through that land, it's like big open expanses of, of kind of barrenness. Yeah. And that was, a, that was partly due to all of the time that she spent in right. the Middle East. And so one of the ex, um, excavations that they were at was of Ur... You are. Mm-hmm. It looks like Ur, but it's pronounced Ur. Right. And it's, I think, in Syria, modern day Syria. Okay. Um, and so they uncovered so many artifacts. And she was right in there with Max, her husband. Wow. Like putting together pottery and digging out these knives. Like, and and wow. she talks about the glint of metal coming through the sands is like one of the most. Well, and this things. this was a big era for discovering these things, not just mm-hmm. Egypt, but all. And I, I I'm going to need to fact check here, fact check here. But I think that may be when Petra was discovered as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Um, I need to oh, I need to check yeah. that. But um, I think you might be right. But there's, I mean, Mesopotamia. Uh, it was there was the Fertile Crescent there and in Egypt that was such a. There's so many different cultures there. So many advanced cultures with different styles of writing, mm-hmm. you know, cuneiform or, or whatever, so many different styles of art, and they all kind of was this huge cultural melting pot. Right. And there was so much that people found, and a lot of it was in this era. They um, did a really great exhibit of finds from Ur in, um, in St. Louis a few years ago at the oh. art museum there, and I went to see that. And so I don't know if, I don't think I saw this at the time, but then when I was reading about Agatha Christie being at that dig, I was wondering, like, did any of the pieces that I saw in this exhibit, like, were they found or worked on by either Agatha or her husband? Yeah. that's pretty exciting. When I was a kid, I remember seeing, I, I believe I saw King Tut's mask came hmm. to, I think, Boston, because that's where our that was the nearest city when I was growing up. And now, of course, it's it's in Egypt, and mm-hmm. they've um, decided it's never going to leave the country again, apparently, 
which, okay, good for Egypt. That's awesome. But right. it may, it worries me because yeah. that is a very volatile part of the world. It's and when I mean, you think about the Iraq war and how many antiquities were destroyed I there, know. or even World War II and Dresden was And they bombed. planned, like they knew they were trying to gear up for it and it still got looted. Yeah. And, and then people were purposefully targeting the antiquities. Oh God. Awful. I awful. Know. Awful. Oh, I'm sorry. Petra was discovered in 1812. Oh, okay. Okay. So that yeah, was this, a lot earlier. So, Agatha Christie was was doing a lot of archaeology in the like 1930, so it's kind of the same time yeah. period. Well, there was is... a lot like right up to World War One. Then of course everything was interrupted mm-hmm. during World War One, but then a lot of it picked up again in 1919 onward. There was a lot of architectural discover or archaeological discovery. And so they claim the war gets in the way of the discovery in the show, right? Because they it's do. King, King Memses' um, tomb is the one that they. Which I assume is I think it's, basically it's supposed to be like Ramesses or something. Yeah, yeah, like a combination of Ramses and and what happened with. King. I didn't actually look that up. I so I, lo- I, I, don't, I assumed that he was fictional. It's fictitious, but, yeah, yeah. Um, but based on I think everything else. But they say like they found that tomb and then left to go back and I don't know get funding or something. I can't remember. And then the war broke out, so they could never get right. back to it again. Right. So they had like one artifact from that to prove, and that right. was was that the ring. Yes. Okay. It was the ring. The things that were found in everybody's nasal cavities. Oh, geez. Where did those come from? So, yeah. I don't know. They were find they those in, in there the too? Like, oh, these would be nice were to th- stick into somebody's nasal cavity when I kill them later. <laughs> were they in the ring? Were they stored in there? Because didn't the ring have like a little capsule I didn't type? get that sense okay. because because Teresa Cavalli, great name, by the way. Really great name. Um, Teresa Cavalli... Um, hid the ring mm-hmm. in the monastery and the first guy our first victim died before that yeah Albert so, Moncton he's the one that you see also in my chilling stuff category is the opening to, to the oh, 13th I can't, episode like, I can never watch that ever again it is awful take no prisoners like yeah. they are right on his face as this thing is being and shoved you, like, up his get nose to, like see the moment when the light goes out of his yes. eyes like oh and my then he does that, God. that like little twitch oh, oh it's it's terrifying and the dog they have the dog whimpering it's everything and the finger oh my gosh that was that's just gross the german like, shepherd was... showing up with a finger i thought only cats that's did a finger that dots <laughs> you my only first cats thing on my that? notes is ugh gruesome murder <laughs> <laughs> yeah i have OMG, and, this oh, opening. And under that, ew finger, all caps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Watching the tool coming at that guy is so awful. Oh. And but then, you know, I now have a menswear category. Like oh. under my costume notes, I have a side category for menswear. And the first thing I wrote was smoking jacket on victim. <laughs> <laughs> So I, while I was being traumatized, I did still manage to notice his smoking jacket. My costume category in this one is very minimal. The one And thing, even less in the next one, I think. Yeah. The um Oh no, the, I'm sorry, we're talking about the last episode. Yeah. The last episode, yeah, I have like the dot Yeah, I mean we so the characters hardly change clothing in this episode at all. The last one? Yeah. 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 The um for episode twelve, Murder in the Dark. I have the, a few extras. The here. red Xiong Sam that she's wearing at the beginning. The Chinese yeah, very what, tight what fitting. Is, what's the word for that? Xiong Sam. Huh. So yeah. Good could, on you. I didn't know thanks. that was the name of it. 
Um, so I went down this I just wrote hole. red Chinese dress, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it was really period specific Very. because much as you were saying about the Japanese style kind of taking over Europe, it had to do with trade exactly. and previously trade had been cut off. Um, right. Um, but then it started being opened up again. And so apparently this dress was created in Shanghai in 1920 and was made wow. fashionable by um, upper-class women socialites, such as Franny Fisher. Maybe the <laughs> communist Shanghai bride brought it with her. You Poor have Franny. to wonder. She did. I mean, Franny had some Did Camelia bring good, it over for her? Could have. Maybe it was in that trunk. Maybe, maybe Camelia gifted it to her. Because it actually looked a lot like her wedding dress. It really did. But I don't and think re- Yeah, red, I believe, is mm-hmm. the bridal color. Um, I loved that the beadwork on that gown matched the hair piece that she's wearing. That hair piece like, is exactly. It it's did, like the yes. same like it feather did. shape. Yeah, that's so and like those piece. beautiful it uses like those bugle beads. Mm-hmm. It's those long cylindrical beads on the on the the dress and I thought that was just so beautiful. And, and the gloves. Understa- oh, the little white gloves with like a it's like a window pane almost. It was like a they were crocheted I think, the crocheted okay. lace. It was they something looked, it was something lace. I don't know if it was crocheted, but They looked like um like furniture, like wicker furniture They and did the, look like furniture. What do you call that when you um, weave it? Oh, it's like the rattan for, what is that called? I don't know what the technique is called, but that is classic. When you see it on a chair, mm-hmm. I don't know about gloves, but when you see that open work pattern on a chair, it's classic hallmark of Hollywood Regency, which also really? incidentally was 1920s and 30s. Oh, interesting. So dead on for the period. Huh. Um, personally, I hate Hollywood Regency. <laughs> My husband had a Hollywood Regency chair that with the wicker sides in that same pattern and everything, but it had an upholstered cushion. It was a horrible yellow. Um, that chair <laughs> met a spectacular death when he stood upon it to screw in a light bulb and it failed oh, yeah. and I clapped because I hated that chair so much and I was so happy when it died. That's really funny. Sorry, tangent. <laughs> I, hate I don't Hollywood know enough Regency. about the Hollywood Regency era or style it to was, really it's have just, an opinion it's one in way there or with the art deco and everything. and i'm sure there are pieces that are beautiful but if you're hmm. poor like we were when we were first married <laughs> and you had a thrift store faux hollywood regency chair <laughs> it ain't good folks you did not cry when it died <laughs> no yeah no he will not mourn his passing and nobody was hurt in the killing of the chair except the chair, <laughs> chair. <laughs> <laughs> oh so along with the the dress um, being created in Shanghai. So it was part of the decorative style called chinoiserie. Yeah. Chinoiserie. Chinoiserie. Which Like was, Japonisme. It's exactly the same. I mean, yeah. really. Yeah. Because it had to do with trade. So right. it had previously been popular in the 18th century because they started a lot of trade with China. And it's similar, I guess, to um, Rococo because it... Mm. Do you say Rococo or ro- Rococo? Rococo. Because I've I had professors say, Rococo. say both. I feel I like, I feel like Rococo is kind of pretentious. I can't do pretentious. it. I, I, yeah, I know. It I've hurts. had professors say it both ways, but I can never bring myself to say Rococo. It hurts Rococo. me. I can't say it. I can't okay. do it. But they're very similar because they are very, like, foofy, lots of, lots of decoration. Yeah. And Although fewer powdered fat ladies. <laughs> True. Thankfully. In the, yes, in the chinoiserie part. Yeah. 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 Um, but, okay, so this is a and little interesting. And that's where like cloisonne became very popular mm-hmm. because that's, that goes right up. It's hand in hand with that. And asymmetry and stylized nature scenes are popular in both of those mm-hmm. styles. So they're, they're tightly linked. 
but it lost, so the chinoiserie style lost popularity after the death of King George IV because he loved that style and decked out like his palace. Till everybody with, was sick of it, I'd imagine. Yeah, and then he died and then it went by the wayside. Yeah. Um, and then there were the opium wars in the mid 19th century. And so it receded even further in style, like in, in popularity. Interesting. But by the end of the 19th century, the British and Chinese trade relations had been stabilized and Prince Albert was a fan of it. And so he. Till someone moved. stuffed him in a can and wouldn't let him out. <laughs> He he moved a bunch of the objects that his father was that his father, King George the Fourth. No 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 no, no, no that no, wasn't because no. that was Prince um, Albert was from Germany. Oh okay. He he got sent over from Germany. I can never remember. Um, so Victoria was the one descended from. <gasps> oh right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, anyway, Prince Albert was a fan, and he moved a bunch of objects that have been at um, the Royal Pavilion in Brighton to Buckingham oh, of Palace. And interesting. They are attributing this and the Royal to, Pavilion at Brighton, which was where the big changing beach hut was. Yes. Full circle, ladies I know, and gentlemen. I know it's beautiful yeah. when that happens, but there is speculation that um, that style was serving to remind Britain of its former colonial glory that was rapidly fading. Yeah, it is kind of a bit of a yeah fading yeah. grand lady. So but that's you know, the end of But this whole trade my... thing, I mean, I've always been really fascinated by Venice. Yeah. Um, oh, for yeah. the same reason. And Talk Venice Venice was a trade melting pot culture mm-hmm. hundreds of years ago. I mean, they, they really hit their peak in the 13th, 14th century. And it's uh, hard to imagine. Yeah. So you <laughs> see the architecture, you know, like Venice doesn't fit with the rest of Italy. The architecture right. is so different. It's it's influenced by China and by the Moorish culture, mm-hmm. Islamic culture. The the architecture there is so different because they had all of these cultural influences that the rest of Italy didn't have. Yeah. So it, it's just fascinating how trade influences culture in that way. And 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 since humans are we're inherently copycats, we like to you know, we like to see what other people are doing and do it ourselves. That's why we have trends and fads and everything mm-hmm. else. So when you see these things happen 1,200, you know, 800 years ago, I just, I think this is so interesting. It and is. I, and I love that they're touching on this in the show. They really did, the, as always, they, they did their yeah, homework. Yeah, the research for the time period for all of the styles, it's just like, yeah, it is on point. Down to the minutest detail. Yeah. It's, it's so, oh, my lizard brain is so happy right now. Ah. <laughs> oh. So, um, so another major, can I talk about another major theme that's in episode 12? Yeah. Murder in the dark, fairy tales, creepy, Ooh, creepy yes. fairy tales. <sighs> like, so we have Arthur calling Murdoch Foyle the woodcutter. Yes. How very grim so, fairy tales is that? So creepy. Like, watch out, the woodcutter will get you. Uh-huh. Um, the little red riding hood costume, the big bad wolf costume, and let's... If you've ever read the original version of Little Red Riding Hood, it's terrifying. Yeah. It's like it was written by Murdoch Foyle. (laughs) (laughs) And then, of course, the last song on the soundtrack when the credits roll, which was admittedly written new. That's a new song. It's not an old song, but it's What What Eyes You Have. (gasps) Really? Yes. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Hello, creepy fairy tale time. Come here, boys and girls. And Jane is wearing red hair ribbons, which again evoke the other Jane. Yep. Who is basically her namesake. She isn't, but but yeah. She might as well be. For all intents and purposes. Yeah. yeah. 
So I am just fascinated with how far they took that mm-hmm. in this episode. And of course, we have Antony and Cleopatra again, which which foreshadows the next episode. The Cleopatra costume foreshadows the episode 13. Um, and it references, oh, what is, I've already forgotten what the, what the previous episode oh, is. Reddy Gore. Oh, yes. Reddy, Reddy Gore, when Jack reveals that he was once on the stage for Antony and Cleopatra, and now we have them dressing up as Antony mm-hmm. and Cleopatra. Although, of course, Jack doesn't go so far as to put on the costume. Sadly, no. interrupted. Oh my gosh, that what scene. What wouldn't we give? This is another scene where it's just like, I need a minute. I just need a minute to call that up and spend some time with it. And yeah. then I'll need a fan real fast. Yeah. <laughs> Fetch me my smelling salts. <laughs> it's a good, good, juicy scene. Yeah. And oh, yeah. And Phryne is smoking in oh that my costume. So that was the other, that was the other costume. Like, I, smoking that I was going to in Come that on. costume. It does not get better than that. And that, that beautiful gold winged headpiece. That, yeah. And, the, and the, what do you call the thing that was around her neck? I, oh. Like a bib I, or something? I used, there is a term for it and I have forgotten it. I, I'm going to quietly Google that okay. while you... All right. Do this. Yeah, it's just gorgeous. The whole outfit, and she can pull that off like very few people, very few humans could yeah. ever pull that off, and it is just stunning. And poor Jack, how could you ever? <laughs> it's amazing he's lasted this long. Uh-huh. Really, that there has just hasn't been, you know. And he comes directly from divorce court to this. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. So that's another oh, thing that's revealed in this episode, very quietly, um, kind of you know by the way. He's going to the magistrate's office and Phryne keeps at it. Like she attacks Hugh and I have it in my notes that she attacks him like a panther would. Like she comes kind of crawling. What do you call it? What do panthers do? They Stalk. like yes, yes. She's stalking her prey. <laughs> what, do pa- what do panthers do, boys and girls? <laughs> they stalk they their prey. Stalk. So when they're at the station, she's at the front door and Jack has just Oh yeah, it's um, Mrs. Truebody has arrived to be interviewed at the station, and she is what a asking. Great name. Yeah, I know, such a perfect name. She's asking why Jack isn't there, and um, he's trying not to tell her. But of course, as we know, he right. can never keep information from Vinnie nope. Fisher, <sighs> and so Hugh. she stalks him. She like slinks toward him to get the information from him, and she just you she can looks see the so, fear in his eyes. Oh, yeah. oh he was yeah. the little mouse, and she was the big giant cat. Yeah, about to yeah, and she got. Actually, he did quite well, I think. I think he was fairly reserved with yeah, the... Yeah, well, he's had some practice now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's still going to lose. Well, and she's too smart. Like, she's going to put it together. Yeah, she's, she's whatever, not dumb. Whatever clue she give, he gives her, she's going to know what to do with it. So I, I do wonder, like, how that played into the party, the scene at the party. Like, did she know that he had just come from divorce court, really? Or did... Did she choose her costume based on that? Because... She chose it earlier in the day. True. Because when at the very beginning of the episode, when we know that she doesn't want to go to Aunt I lo- Yeah, I love that she's like, Mr. Butler, have you found any broken fan belts? or <laughs> No. Luckily, sadly. there's been a murder. <laughs> I know her glee when she's like, oh, no, the luncheon's off. And then, yeah. oh, because <laughs> somebody died. By the way, that, that necklace is called a broad collar. Or broad in, collar. apparently the Egyptian term is... Yusek or mm. Wesek? I don't know. Yusek or Wesek or... Okay. I say potato, I say yeah, exactly. color. Huh. Yeah. All right. Good to know. Mm-hmm. So, and I love the pacing is really, really 
tight in this episode because yeah. you have this like very sexy moment with the two of them. Like the tension is super high. And then she just grabs that note, leaves, and she's out in the hall. And then when she discovers the ribbon in the envelope, she is such she an amazing falls apart. Yeah. actress. She is so good yeah. that it was partly, I mean, definitely the music was part of it. But S.C. Davis's face, she is so good at yeah. conveying this Total, it was like, like micro expressions and it was incredible and yeah. I I was like gripping my seat I was like oh no oh no and it was so good at moving the story and the emotion forward yeah and so to have it just on the back of that really tense moment in the bedroom and then she comes kind of stumbling back into the room my only complaint is I feel that Jack should have been further along with the undressing uh-huh. if he was actually gonna be a room soldier, can we just anyway. say no pants at this point like right. yes come the on. centurion skirt come logistically, on logistically Realistically, he those really pants should would not have, have had on. pants on by that point. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, just saying. Sorry. sorry, just minor complaints. We're just going to totally objectify you, him. I'm yeah, sorry. I'm I'm really okay with that. Um, yeah. So she comes back in the room. He's like he was minimally undressed, and then immediately I think his sees, tie was loosened. Yeah, but she had done that. Like she had already done that. He had done no work except he was halfway to taking off his shoe. That was it. It's because she shouldn't have left the room. She should have just know. done the rest of it. Anyway. <laughs> But he sees her face and knows something yeah. has happened. And yeah. then it's like, the, then it is on. Yeah. So they're running all over the place. And I love, okay, so this starts like this really amazing paced um, finale of the episode. Yeah. Because all of the things, all of the clues are coming together now. Right. And they get to um, Arthur's room and he's not there. And she notices the wolf co- costume's missing. Mm-hmm. And so they're like running around the grounds. And I, I have to say that that party, I want to go to that party. It looked amazing. Totally. And, and Cousin Guy, I love him. I was just going to say, like, can we please have a guy and Isabella More tangent? Because I'm really hoping that in the movie, and I, I, I am 99% sure there will, in fact, be a movie. Um, he has to be in it, please. Please, can't we have him in it? He would be so good. And, and Isabella, I, I mean, she's great. For, for the first time ever, by comparison, like, like, we finally find someone who Aunt P disapproves of more than Phryne. It's true. And and I'm th- like all I can think like Phryne's looking pretty good to you right now, isn't she, yep. Aunt P? And and even Phryne, even Phryne, who's not shocked by anything, even she is disgusted by Isabella. Isabella is such good comic relief in this episode. And which one of you wants to inspect oh my me? Gosh. So <laughs> good. And Hugh. Dropping the pencil. So, I, I love it's, it. That, that's just comedic gold. It that is. moment it's is so good. So and good. there's so many of these moments in yeah. this show that's really tense otherwise. So, yeah, I'm just. The menage a trois, the French undies. It's just. It's, all of it. There's and Franny, so much I love there. when she's interviewing Miss True Body and. And she's like trying to stifle a laugh when she finds out the uh, menage a trois happened. That's and so good. That's why the maid or the, what, what is she? The housekeeper. She's the housekeeper. Yeah. That's why she left. It's so funny. But um, yeah, so then the pace keeps going and then they find um, at that moment, then Dot and Hugh get the uh, ashes of presumably foils ashes right at the station they're back at the station and right. the guy i love the funeral the funeral guy what do you call him i don't know undertaker? from the funeral is it yeah, the, yeah is it the undertaker who does that i, I guess i don't know the various jobs of the funeral home industry i don't know he was the the funeral the parlor representative who brings oh the, yeah and the dot the dot pretends to be the bereaved <laughs> what does he say at the end like 
oh, much bereavement on your loss or something. It's something different though. And it's really, really yeah, funny. Yeah, many condolences on yes, your loss. Something, something like that. Yeah. It's very funny. I love funny. that Dot figures it out. I love, and Hugh is like, And nah. Hugh is so grossed out. We get to see that awesome oh, face as he's like taking a, I don't know, stick or something going through the ashes. I mean, that would be gross. Thank it is you. Gr- I and the melted glass eye. She's so smart. Dot, like, let me see that picture again. And she puts it together. So, and I love it. So at that moment, we're like finding out, oh, no, no. It's too bad Franny wasn't there to witness that because she really would have made Franny proud in that moment. I think she makes Franny proud so many times in this two-parter. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's good love there between those two. And I love that Franny introduces her at one point to, to Guy. When she introduces Dot to Mm -hmm. Guy, she introduces her as her companion. companion. And I think that is so charming. And, then, and often the term uses it a euphemism, thank you very much. Huh, that's especially true. in that era. Yeah. But I just, I love that. What does he say when he, guy kisses Dot's hand and he's like, pleasure. Oh, ooh, good guy. <laughs> so good. Yeah. I love him. He's just so and fun. I love that he goes as, what, is that Bluebeard? Yeah. And then the whole thing with the Lady Godiva slash Eve costume such a she good just waltzes good in there scene. and even like jane who's by now seen it all not phased for a second she's no like, i thought you were eve because you know godiva <laughs> didn't have the fig leaf and then she's like oh maybe i should rip it off it's so good oh i know and i love isabella's cluelessness i mean about the but i don't know maybe she's not clueless about i don't think the, she is i think she's mean like her whole well, thing yeah. like when franny gives her that dig like i, I thought anybody worth knowing was in London. And Isabel says, well, true. It's so yeah. antipodean of you to <laughs> bring the whole household to a screeching halt just because a maid has died. Yeah, she's pretty reprehensible, but she is just pure gold oh, comedically. Yeah. Really, yeah. and very much needed, I think, in this episode, too. Can I jump around for a bit and um, bring up something that has nothing to do with anything Ooh. whatsoever? Yeah. In Arthur's room, after... Um, Franny gives him the enormous gobstoppers. <laughs> um, and she gives him that whatever the gift is and that all I know, I don't even remember what the gift was, but I oh. just remember the Italian wrapping paper on the, yeah. on the gift. Um, huh. In the background of that scene, there's a very large toy soldier in the corner and it has on it what appears to be a Venetian Mardi Gras mask. Really? And it's terrifying. <laughs> It is absolutely creepy. I haven't noticed that. I will definitely have to keep an eye out. I was writing down some notes and I looked up and I'm like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> so now that's all I see. Going to sleep with that staring that's at you. That's all from I see now. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, okay, it's really I'm terrifying. definitely going to yeah. check that out. Poor that's Arthur. really funny. Arthur is such a good character. Yeah. And once again, the show handles it so well. He, so we don't know exactly what is his, it? Is it cerebral palsy or is it? And in the end, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. Yeah. Aunt Prudence says, well, his it, it wouldn't be cerebral palsy because cerebral palsy is physical. There's nothing wrong with your mind. And he, Oh, okay. Yeah. He has the intellect of a child. Right. But okay. So I, it's something else. Okay. But, but yeah, it, the way it's described by aunt P is his faculties are limited. limited. But he is, but they clearly love him. He's yeah. beloved. Right. And he's his own he's person. A sweet like he man. has, yeah. He has likes. He has dislikes. He's actually a real character in this episode, in the two episodes, and provides some uh, really good information too. It's, it's he's really interesting and complex, and he he is still traumatized by the loss of Jane, the first mm-hmm. Jane, Janie, and 
he is so he's terrified and traumatized and he's clearly still mourns her. Yeah. But when Marigold dies and he finds her, he doesn't really react. And he says, Oh, I have my candy apple in there. She is. Uh-huh. She's in there. She's and, sleeping. Yeah. I think he just doesn't associate the like the physical death with the with But the woodcutter gave him the candy apple. Again. Again. And he gave him the candy yeah. apple thirty years ago or whatever it was. And that I think that's very interesting and chilling. It's also a really good sort of fairy tale mm-hmm. little clue. And I mean the red, like the poison, like the, a- the poison apple, poison apple, totally. Hello. Yeah, yeah. But and and like, just looking at it as an object, it's really beautiful, but it's really sinister. Yeah, and like sickly, mm-hmm. like, it's like those cloying, cloying, but like almost like like it's drugged. Yeah, you know, like like when things are sickly sweet to mask mm-hmm. the fact that there's something sinister in there. Um, it was a really good little, I don't know, what do you call the. Not it's sight like a, gag, but like a, like a the bon plant. Mot. A what? A bon mot. Bon, bon mot. A bon mot. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna be pretentious in French here. <laughs> Speaking of of that sort of thing, um, I do have a costume note about Franny. Franny wears a silk print jacket in this episode with the peacock. It's like brown print. It's yeah, it is brown. Okay. I don't know Maybe exactly what peacock. it is. It's it's some floral or feathery. Yeah, I noticed it because it's actually a block printed technique because oh. it's all a single it's a single um color it's okay. it's it's unusual for her because usually she's wearing these sumptuous multicolor prints which would have been very expensive to make at the time and are even expensive to make now but this is a very simple jacket and simple print and it's a single color and it leads me to believe because she only wears really expensive things that it was probably hand block printed mm-hmm. um i don't know about the costume like the actual costume being made that way but my guess is that's what that fabric is because why mm-hmm. else would she wear such a simple pattern that's a really good point yeah anyway, that's rare. my theory it's very rare for it to be one color and just one pattern not like 10 mm-hmm. layered patterns. But it's meticulously done. It's mm. beautiful. I, huh. I, that was one that I actually paused it and stared at I it like for a while. I like the flow. Her clothes just have so much good movement and motion. She's got the right figure for it, too. Is that yeah. She can wear these kind of swishy fabrics. The costuming, it's just... We've talked about it. Yeah. Like, so many times. But I still... I and, just can't get over it. And, you know, Dot so is in good. her signature brown, but Dot is wearing a beautiful fall coat that's... Uh, Maybe linen, maybe cotton. Hmm. It's some lightweight fabric, but she has these really interesting, unusual darts in the back of the jacket that are like huh. have a herringbone pleat to okay. them. And I think that's a really novel way to construct a garment for Dot because Dot is extremely busty. And as a fellow busty gal, we've talked about this. <laughs> Um, the way to make, and I don't, I don't sew clothing. My husband does, but I've, so I've picked up a few things from him and the way to get around bustiness in women is with clever darts. Yeah. Because otherwise, if you don't put clever darts in there, you'll end up with things that fit like a flower yeah. sack or right. circus it tent. It gets real boxy if you don't have those. Yeah. So usually the darts go under the bust. That's generally where they go, but that's not the case in Dot's jacket. The dart, the darts are in the back, hmm. um, right 
like if you if you were to draw a line back towards her spine from under her armpits, that's where the darts are. Oh, interesting. So it's pulling the bust in where it needs to go, but in a really novel place. And they've done it in a really interesting way. And I just spent so much time staring at those darts. And you she know, wears it in the next episode too. Yeah, in, in 13. and I think she's wearing it in the station when they're pawing through the ashes. Yes, and now I, I remember is. which one you're talking about. And it yeah. does, it's almost like, um, they're like, like arrows pointing yeah, towards like, her spine. Yeah, you're right. That is a really unusual, certainly an unusual way to do darts. But super novel. Yeah. And, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of like, I, I don't sew clothes, but I do knit and, um, knitting is the same thing. Yeah. You have to, but with knitting, you can't put darts in knitting. You have to, they're called short rows. Basically you have to, you have to knit back and forth and back and forth on a very short scale for a while to, ex- it basically does the same job as darts. And now I'm thinking all these, Oh, it'd be really interesting to try mm. something like that. So yeah, I am fascinated with how they've constructed these garments. And I know we've compared Dot to Joan from Mad Men before yeah. because Joan has a also a very full-figured mm-hmm. build. Um, curvy. And very curvy. And most of the things I've seen her in, she's dressed in sackcloth, but she is impeccably dressed in Mad Men. They really nailed her figure and everything she wears, she looks absolutely gorgeous and they I feel like they really nailed Dot too there's been a few times where I thought no that's a misstep because part of it is Roaring Twenties fashion just doesn't work on a busty gal it's really built for stick figure thin people like Phryne yeah but um but I think overall the the show does a really good job of dressing her figure in a way that is flattering and Mm. is novel and interesting and I think this coat is a perfect example of that well and also fits her character too it does because it's it's very conservative brown yeah and I mean there's no nothing showy about it there's nothing it's not very it's not very form-fitting because she would not choose clothes but it's still flattering yeah it's still very flattering on her um, and I love Guy's plaid wool three-piece suit with the waistcoat and <laughs> the man looks impeccable. He does. Absolutely impeccable. He is. And we don't get to really comment on Isabella's costumes because frankly, she's not wearing much for the entire episode. <laughs> That's really true. She just never is wearing much. Yeah. Is the most she wears that nightgown? That shawl, the nightgown with the shawl. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yep. That scene is so good. <laughs> she throws herself on the couch. So, which one of you is going to expect me? Oh. <laughs> um, okay, I feel bad, but those expensive yellow French silk undies. Mm-hmm. The, they're really gross. Like, I really hate yeah, them. Yeah, they're granny I really, panties. I really hate them. <laughs> I'm sorry. I understand at the time they would have been. They're enormous granny panties. <laughs> and they're only enormous because, they only look enormous because of the way they're cut. And so, the, the you know, they would have been very high-waisted at the time, and they probably would have hit somewhere around mid-thigh. So that, Ugh, yeah. They just look so awful to wear. <sighs> I don't, ugh. I just, like... I couldn't help myself. I mean, Dot and Phryne are both, oh, those are really beautiful. Look, they must be mm-hmm. hand-stitched because they're really lovely. Are they yours? <laughs> oh, no, they're they're couture. They're French. Blah, blah. And I'm like, they're hideous. They're granny panties. <laughs> yeah, The only really thing bad. that saves them is that they're yellow and not beige. God, if they'd they been beige. They looked yellowed to me. Like, yeah. They looked they did, yeah, they didn't look like, like daisy yellow. They looked they like... They looked like they'd been worn and washed. Sitting in and, a trunk for uh-huh. 80 years. Yeah, yeah, no, they're really, really icky. Clearly, tastes have changed. <laughs> I'm glad I live now. Thank you. Yeah. And I, you know, apparently I couldn't have afforded those back in the day anyway, so. You couldn't have afforded your granny panties. <laughs> 
they oh they just look like they feel so like you'd be going commando basically because there's just like no and I can't handle high waisted anything like <laughs> mom jeans underwear uh, yes any like I don't want anything touching my navel thank you very mm. much can't handle it I don't know I'm going the opposite direction oh <laughs> no like, further and further up please oh <laughs> if I have the if I there's like, a reason they are called mom well, jeans that's true. <laughs> But I would just, I'd be like, just give me the Momo. Just, 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 mm. I'm going to resign myself to the Momo at this point because. Don't do it, please. <laughs> um, I love, there's a shot when, um, when we see Mr. Butler kind of taking over the preparations for the party. Mm-hmm. And when we get the famous G'day from Bert, um, we get a shot. I actually paused it and looked at this to see what, what all was there. There's this great shot of the f- food spread that's going to be yeah. there for the, for the, for the party. Mm-hmm. And it's. It's so great. There's like tarts, there's Victoria sponges, there's tiered layer cakes, there's braided breads, there's beautiful bunts in there. It's just iced, iced bunt cakes. Like there's just, it's just this sumptuous moment in this beautiful kitchen. Oh, I just, I drooled over that scene. I really want to go to that party. Oh yeah. So... Getting more into episode 13. Mm-hmm. I have to call out the scene in the coroner's office. Oh that's, oh, that's such a great scene. It's so good. Such a good, like, mansplaining moment there. He So Dr. Johnson is just so done with Franny because yeah. she keeps inserting herself in all of these investigations. And he appears to be very much of the women in the coroner's office. We yeah. can't have that. Women don't come in the morgue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I love that we hear her. He's like threatening to have her removed. And then Jack appears and he's like, let her stay. I make her an honorary deputy, right? Is, it deputy? Uh, Is that what he says? Honorary constable. Ah. Uh. And she has that ha ha look. Yes. Neater, neater. <laughs> totally. It's so funny. Um, and then she produces the quote unquote new evidence. Is this where her- she says, if I don't speak? No, that was, um, oh, that was Green Mill. Murder oh, the yeah, Green yeah, Mill. Yeah. Cause it was oh, the right. Pin. Cause she, yeah. yeah. Um, no, this one, she like produces her handkerchief and it's in it is flare. that embalming tool thing. Which was stuck with- in the door with a photo on it. Yeah. And super creepy. Awful. With the dog. Uh, he- Awful. Um, but the scene That's where they find dog. it and then Hugh comes, he like opens the door. He's like, hey, can I help you? And Nothing. she's like, no, I'm good. Real good. We're good. <laughs> Just looks I'm at fine. him like, okay, go away now. Um, anyway, the Dr. Johnson tension is so good. And then she suggests, I think, that they check out the brain. Like if had the autopsy been done on the brain and he's, and he said he's all like, yeah, he's mansplaining and like, well, we don't examine the brain unless we have a good reason. <laughs> How about to check if it's missing? <laughs> yeah, that's such a great, I love that. It's perfect delivery. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. And um, yeah, and Jack's like, yep, do it. We'll wait. So, ha Yeah, <laughs> that's so good. And then, um, so then he does come back. Corner comes back and says, you were right, Miss Fisher. But then they check the nasal passage of the other two victims. And 
I really love that the show purposely makes us cringe here. Like, yeah. they have Dr. Johnson with that tool, like, like that long, rummaging around in there, and, and he has just, to like pull like, pretty hard. Yeah, he's like, like going to town as he pushes in there, and you're just like, oh Jesus, so yeah. gross. But you know that they're like they're doing it on purpose, and it's so well done. And then they find these two things and plank plank into the jar, oh. and then yeah, it was just I really love that. I love that they like make the audience uncomfortable. If it were me, I wouldn't even be able to like look closely at these little brain nuggets that are in <laughs> the little bowl here. And she's like, Oh, huh. This one appears to have a bird on it. Like, <laughs> well, and they just stood there. I think while the, I know head was, you know, taken apart to see if the brain. And I love that she intact. takes them to Indiana Jones later and says, you know, Hey, we found these in somebody's nasal cavity. That's, Oh, Oh, so yeah. Gross. Jack, like Jack sends her on that that um errand quite willingly and i wonder like is he just trying to get rid of her because <laughs> uh, know. he knows he's tried he's like go home and sleep really really is she really gonna do that she's not gonna take that directive at all and Ugh. yeah wild horses couldn't make me um also in the menswear category mm. for this episode um jack is wearing that pinstripe suit that i love and it's paired with um, a very pale French gray dotted tie, which is just so beautiful. Hmm. Um, but the one menswear misstep in here is, um, who is the professor, the Indiana Jones guy? Yeah. What is his name? Um, uh, professor it? Rhodes, you mean yeah. in the episode that she goes, who, who deciphers the thing for her? Yeah. Professor Rhodes. Yeah. So his suit is so hideous. Um, and I was talking to my husband about this and he said, oh yeah, you know, so in the previous episode, we see Guy wearing that beautiful three-piece suit. Mm-hmm. In the three-piece suit that the professor is wearing is, um, has a waistcoat that doesn't match and pants that don't match. And, and my husband said, yeah, that, that style became very popular in the 1920s in menswear where it became huh. a thing to have a, a contrasting waistcoat. Huh. Something that contrasted with your jacket. But but the waistcoat that he's wearing clashes so spectacularly with that jacket that it just made me angry. <laughs> and he's got this hideous ascot that he's wearing. And it's like this nasty olive drab color with this like cool gray waistcoat and this warm, pukey, brown, ugly plaid that I just, <laughs> it hurt to look at. And he, so I felt like he was misstep. out of... I thought he was out of the wrong era because he looked like he should be a 1950s sitcom Yacht guy. Die. He's sort of like Tony Curtis's character in Some Like It Hot, like, uh, which incidentally took like, place in the 20s. But Leave it to Beaver, like some Sherwood Schwartz oh, show. Yeah, like he kind just of, had that yeah. sort of 1950s guy vibe going on. Or like on. the Ren and Stimpy dad. Did you ever watch Ren and Stimpy oh, when you were a kid? No, not they really. They did a lot of parodies on like the 1950s dad, and it was all animated in a really gross way, but it was <laughs> weirdly accurate. He, he just, kind of was like he, that. He looks like he's out of the 50s, and yeah, I think sort of. it's his hair. And also he has like this, his, this accent that's sort of affected almost. Yeah, well, again, like Tony Curtis in Some Like It Hot. He, he puts on this fake, like, you know, Bunny Vanderbilt <sighs> right. kind of. I need to watch that again. It's going on my list. So I'm like it hot. Yeah, it's I mean, one of my, it's it. one of my favorite movies of all time, and it's super naughty. It is. That's right. I remember that dress she super, wears. Yeah. Holy cow! Or when um, oh, Jack Lemmon says, "Sometimes you just have to slap it." <laughs> <laughs> it's so dirty. It's 
so good. <sighs> I when we got to the the university and she meets that professor, I really thought that they were going to have a fling. So did I, because that is Friday's M.O., isn't it? It is. And I mean, I think that she was assessing him as he was like looking at the little whatever they are. Are we going to have an Egyptian booty call? I don't know. (laughs) I felt like it might happen. Under the Nefertiti bust? I don't know. (laughs) There would have been, yeah, lots of, lots of good places for that, but Mm. they don't, they don't go there. So that was probably good. Oh, and this is another episode where we have a flashback to before World War I, where the costumes change. So when yes. Teresa Cavalli shows up and rescues the little girl, mm-hmm. the one, the one Myrtle. girl who, yeah, who escaped foil because of Teresa. Yeah. She's wearing a similar costume to what Franny is wearing in Murder and Montparnasse. And again, I thought pirate. <laughs> big hat. Big hat. I know this waist. time, like when I had said that before, you're like, oh, it's the big hat. And so this time it's like pirate. Oh yes. It's big the hat. hat. Yep. It's the hat. It was a good flashback. Bonus points for big feathers. <laughs> <laughs> very Captain Hook. We have to talk about the scene where Franny gets arrested and the subsequent jailbreak. Right. Because it is one of my favorite scenes, hands down. And I mean, I have so many favorite scenes in this, in this whole series. Like there are just so many, but this is such a good one. Yeah. So first they're in what I call the war room where Jack has like put up all the butcher paper and stuck all the photos. It is, it, it is. It's like a very like Watergate yeah, kind although, of. so after seeing um, A Beautiful Mind, to me, it's shorthand Love for... Love Schizophrenia, that movie. Right. Now it looks like Crazy Town to have all of those. <laughs> like, you know, whenever you see also, something and there's it, like it a... it reminds me of the usual, usual suspects. It's like the Kaiser oh, so yeah. say Totally. I mean, I know that it's probably a common practice if you're in law probably. enforcement or like crime busting that you stick up the evidence and make trails Where you make collages string. in your office. <laughs> Crime collage. Yeah, you said this episode is very cinematic. It and is. that is a yeah, very I mean, cinematic devo- device cinematic right there. There's nothing about a manila envelope with papers in it. So this is a much right. better way to handle that. Oh, yeah. I think I saw it. It's in file B over here. <laughs> it's like yeah. five pages down. No, yeah, but no. it's on this part of the collage with the string. Yes, with the red string. Yeah. Yeah. And Finey sees the birth date thing and then they figure it out. Can, we just, then- can, I, can I just say that that's very weird that both Finey and her sister have, let's say, what? Astro- astrologically important or is it astrological or is it just well okay so her sister's birthday is on the equinox mm, okay i guess in australia that would be the vernal equinox not the autumnal because it's september um and Friday's is the summer solstice yeah how weird is that huh. they're an interesting no family. wonder they're targeted by weird mystic murderers <laughs> <laughs> They have these significant they basically asked for it. You could go to Stonehenge <laughs> on Friday's birthday and something's going to happen. I don't know what. <laughs> well, and we find out. And you could stand an egg on and on her sister's right. birthday, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so we find out in that scene um, that Foyle screwed up or... Like right, I mean, he because did. her dad was drunk yes. when he registered the birth certificate. Yes, actually, and I don't think this comes up in the show at all, but in the books, her dad was also drunk when they named her, when they named Franny, and so she was supposed to be named Psyche. And instead, they named her after a, a historic whore, courtesan. basically. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yep. Good job. So, Psyche's <laughs> a little different. A little bit. I think that it actually Cupid's went. girlfriend. <laughs> 
it went a better direction for Franny, really, I think, in the end. It's more badass, really. Yeah. And psyche, psyche is just weird. Psyche, like, you use that. That's a word that actually comes up. Yeah, but no one says, like, this really tickles my Franny. Or, like, <laughs> or that sounded awful. But we should. <laughs> that sounded dirty. And it would definitely be dirty. I have, like, a Lorelai Gilmore moment. Dirty. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, did you notice the little thing that they do? It was like a tiny little gag. Um, when it's the party scene, they're like setting up for the In party. episode 12. The French, yes. Okay. Episode 12. The French champagne has been set on the table and... Um, oh, and Bert when, sets it down really hard, right? Well, Bert says, um, I think that's when he says, bloody panda Bloody bear. liquid gold. And then you hear, yeah. hear Franny say, French. And then a second later, you see her pick up a bottle of the French champagne, but... I think they do that so that you think she's calling him out on his language. Oh, I, think. I didn't catch that. That's how that. I interpreted it. Because oh, yeah. then she's like, how delightful. Yes. Yeah. And I think it was supposed to be like a little cutting. French like a, champagne, French undies, French language. Lots of French. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Anyway. Um, oh, okay. Um, so, oh. No, you go ahead because this is not well, so there. in the war room and she puts together the birth dates. And by the way, the sketches of those missing girls are really beautiful. I know that that is not what I was supposed to be paying attention to, but they're really lovely sketches. Well, you know, crime collages can be quite lovely. (laughs) But then they were... They were little crime arts and crafts. Now they're not, but then they were beautiful because they were like humans drawing pictures. But what they didn't show was that out of of camera range, there was a macaroni collage like... Okay, that would be really creepy. Super, super <laughs> Or like at the Minnesota State Fair, the crop <laughs> <Right>. art <laughs> of Murdoch foil. <laughs> at least there wasn't a bust carved out of butter. Butter. Oh, the butter foil. Butter that foil. sounds good, right? <laughs> Thou shall be known by your there, likeness in butter. The butter is like tampered with so Ooh. that everybody falls asleep if right? they eat the butter. <laughs> I can't believe it's not butter. <laughs> can't believe it's not roofies okay so while we're on that subject okay first of all that scene with the poisoned milk is like the most terrifying <gasps> oh thing my gosh. yes ever yes i have that is like the top one in my chilling stuff category like, because i was screaming none. like nothing will ever top that i was screaming i was by myself watching oh. tv standing and up and you talked about the music the oh music is terrifying it's when all of your characters that you love, all of these people. And they're all like lying like there in these like horrible positions dead. with their like eyes moving. Oh my God. Yeah, and it isn't until Foyle comes in and walks past Bert's head that you oh. know that they're alive. So for a while, you're just you going. You think they're dead. Yes, yeah. you think this house is full of all your dead friends. And it's horrible. And I was screaming. And I kind of wish I had a video of me watching this for the oh, first time. Man. Because there were so many visceral reactions I had to yeah. this, this two-parter thing. Like, it's terrifying. But, you know, th- they foreshadowed that moment in episode 12 when Murdoch Foyle comes to the house and Jane lets him in. Mm-hmm. And she pours him hot, is it hot chocolate? Or is it tea? Uh, I, think I think it's, it's tea. tea. And she's pouring the milk and he tells her this ter- creepy, creepy story of how Cleopatra used to bathe herself in ass's milk to keep her skin yeah. youthful. Hello, don't say that. Just note to self, don't say that to a 12-year-old girl that's creepy as hell. And she's like, hey, and yeah. she's like, oh, that's a nice story. <laughs> she's trying to be so polite. It's totally foreshadowing yeah, the, the it, thing it with the milk later. Yeah. And... It's just that whole thing is so cinematic, the way they filmed that. And the way they shot that is, 
I think everything, every, everything involving Murdoch Foyle, they find these novel ways to shoot it. Mm -hmm. Like in episode 12, they do this aerial shot of the tile and you get this really good shot of her tile floor around the phone because they call out the phone before he cuts the phone line. Right. And all I could think of was like, great tile. (laughs) (laughs) And then in episode 13, we get another killer shot of that tile when the angle is like this raking angle where the, the camera is almost on the floor so you get this Mm. extreme close-up of the tile and then you see it's on eye level with Bert lying on the floor and then you see the drips of the milk coming off the table and then of course I'm thinking like okay creepy Ooh, nice stair runner carpet (laughs) (laughs) because there's something wrong with me (laughs) but that was such a cinematic moment and it's really terrifying when Murdoch Foyle is like whistling he's whistling a freaking tune creepy and and he just waltzes into that and he he, like like, opens he pre-opens the door for himself right like in such a jaunty way and he looks he already looks like Anthony Hopkins yeah which I think we've talked about before like hello Hannibal Lecter yeah opens that door and he like he resets the the milk bottle that's fallen over like a little OCD but okay yeah, um, you oh know my who God. else? And Dot like? sitting there like this, like rictus. Oh jeez! Oh yeah, my and God! And she's like, her face is frozen in terror. Terror. Yeah, but it's frozen. She's yeah. not moving. She's just like looking horrified. Yeah, but completely still, which was very, very well done. Uh, yeah, he also looks like Ben from Lost. Never saw it. Oh, okay, also creepy. I, I'm wait. Is that Dominic Monaghan's character? I don't know. He was, he was in the Lord of the Rings. That's the only one I know. Mm, I'm like, okay. hey, he was a hobbit. Now he's on know. a desert island like the Lord of the Flies, and I probably will hate <laughs> the show, so I'm not going to watch it. Oh, that's too bad. I kind of want to rewatch it. Anyway, I've just heard about absurd things that happened later, oh, and I was like, yeah, no, everybody it, spoiled it for that me. That one so. goes off the rails, and it's very too bad because it was so good at yeah. the start. But anyway, so um, yes, foil, super creepy because he is just so um, fastidious and calm and zen-like in his crazy they're completely nuts. Like, yeah, so earnest. Like that. That's the speech that he does at the very end, where he's like, "No, they no, weren't true believers. They don't understand that like, this is it." Hi, honey. You're crazy. Yeah, it's. I don't, so want, I don't much mean scarier. to interrupt your crazy time. It's so much scarier when the the per, when the villain is a is, believer. Yes. Yeah. Oh, another one that was super creepy. I'm sorry. Go for when it. When they when they find Teresa Cavalli on the altar. Oh, oh yeah. There were so it was so creepy. And she knew it too. She was like, Yeah, he's probably gonna come get me. I know. She should have waited. Like, or she honey, shouldn't have waited till the next morning. Get the F out of well, town. And then Franny, like when she looks around after the ring has been pulled out of that creepy that wall, creepy. and there's, they give you the indication that somebody's like hiding in the bushes. You have to imagine that she wondered if she just led Foil directly to Teresa Cavalli because that yeah. Foil was following. Like he had to have been following her, and, right? And Teresa, when we first meet Teresa, she was she kind of has like a oh hell look, like oh crap, they found me, right. which means Murdoch's gonna find me. Oh, yep. I'm dead, Kate. See ya. Good yeah. thing I'm a nun now and I'll be okay with this. She was surprisingly at peace with the whole thing. Speaking of Catholics, this is the first time we meet Father O'Leary. Yes. We've heard of Father O'Leary in his... I don't know that we have. I don't well, think it's her typical priest. Isn't it? No. Isn't he it's... the one that she gently blackmails? I don't think when so. When Dot blackmails with the fate? No, I think it's a different one. Because he, Father O'Leary says, I haven't seen you since you were a wee one or yeah, a wee so thing or something. Story? Yeah, so what's I, the story? I mean, like, a, did she go back to her childhood priest or well, did her other priest leave? Did What's the deal? 
I think is, this is not her normal parish, right? Yeah, this isn't her normal. But we see a lot more of Father O'Leary later. In we fact, do. when oh, oh, I see. You mean like in the future? Does she yeah, go back there? When yeah. When Hugh decides to convert, mm-hmm. it's Father O'Leary mm-hmm. who, and Father O'Leary is like punching people. Yeah, and yeah. He becomes a bigger. He character becomes a stereotypical end. Irish hothead he's so, priest. But he's so fun. Like they. Oh, again, he's hilarious. Like, he's a great character. And I tried to write it down, but it happened too quick for me, and I didn't have time to watch it. Is this it. the quote? Is this what Franny says as she's entering? Yeah, please tell me you okay. got it. Okay. Oh, I, I got every word okay, because good. it is one of my favorites. I need to learn shorthand. I really need to learn no, it. No, I just know how to rewind a million times. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Who needs shorthand when you can rewind? So she strides in and yells like in this a church, Father O'Leary, it's an emergency. And then he comes out says, is it an urgent confession you're after? No, thank you. My sins are too many and varied to mention. And frankly, I intend to continue sinning, so I won't waste your time. I'm looking for Teresa Cavalli. It's so good. <gasps> it's so perfectly delivered. It's so good. She just means business. She's like... I understand that you are trying to do this. I am not interested. Let's move on. But then right after that, Dot gets a little dig in when she says, oh, the problem isn't just that she's a Protestant. <laughs> she's a Protestant. She's that's a pro- not the, that's only, not the problem. only problem. I know. I know. So good. And the whole time she's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. This is so embarrassing. I'm so sorry for Franny. It's really great. To have I know. Dot. Like the, the contrast between somebody who just doesn't. That's like, yep, give. this is who I'm hanging out yeah. with every day. Yep. You just and don't even know the half of it, Father. Oh, it's so good. There's I lingerie involved. I found lingerie in the <laughs> chandelier the first time I met her. You have no idea. <laughs> I love that scene so much. There was and then blood Father Lear's like, oh, he's a great character. And I'm glad that they bring him back because yeah. he's so fun. He's a little stereotypical. Well, he, yes. You know, like I the mean, hothead Irish guy. Yeah. I mean, all the, all, the only thing we're missing is for, for Hugh to have an Irish accent as a cop. Like, <laughs> but, but he's good comic relief. Okay, so I got caught up in the war room, mm-hmm. but the scene where Phryne decides she's going to offer herself up because she knows that he has Jane, Foyle has Jane, and she's, he needs his fourth goddess, and it's got to be Phryne, so and, she's going to go trade places, And basically. Murdoch actually calls Jane her daughter. Yeah. I think this is the first time, um, well, maybe the only time. So I think, isn't that when they are, um, one of the encryptions says like something about a daughter. Yes. And that's, so we make the, the connection that Foyle's basically saying Jane is Franny's daughter. And, and that's, that's when Franny figures it out when he says, well, the other, the other translation means the daughter or. Yeah. Um, the, yes. The what is the first one? It's like raise up or. To oh, offer almost, up or yeah, something. I think, I think that's it. Something like that. Yeah. And and then it's when he says the daughter. That's when Franny. She, but but hitherto, Jane has been her ward. Jane, Jane has mm-hmm. been. It's true. Yeah. There's always she's never a different actually word come so far it. as calling her her daughter. Yeah. But you know she technically is now because yeah. she signed the adoption papers. Foil's so sweet. But you He's know we've gone. For, I know. <laughs> How sweet of him. I, just wanna, I wonder if he sent a card. I just want to his portrait in macaroni. <laughs> but, you know, this has come a long way for Franny because when Franny first meets Jane, she's like, I don't do kids. Mm-hmm. And now, like, this is her daughter. Yeah. And she feels that. And, and she's think, willing to risk her life to save Jane. Also, actually, That no. was a little overly dramatic, no. though. When she, she, like, okay. holds the goblet with both hands. I don't know. I was a little so, like, come on. The The scene where Jack is trying to prevent her from going to, I think, the university, right? 
Isn't that where she's headed? I can't remember. She's going to offer herself up, whatever. And he's like, no, you can't do that. I'm arresting you for your own safety. And then we get into that amazing tussle. Oh, right. Wherein she kicks him in the shin real hard. And he's like, that's it. And he grabs her arms and pins her. That's right. And she um, is fighting every minute of this. But I love, love, love when Hugh... So Jack makes Hugh take her to the cell. And he like does that, I don't know, bear hug bear thing hug. to like clamp yeah, her arms down. Right, right, right. I'm sorry, miss. I'm sorry, miss. I'm sorry, miss. Yeah. I'm sorry, miss. And he's just like <laughs> chanting this mantra as he's taking her to the cell. And it's so good. That scene is amazing. <sighs> yeah. Okay. You know, I think it's really interesting because I, I feel like this is something that if this weren't a feminist show, we'd be seeing the bear hug all the time. Oh, yeah. Because, like, we have a woman character and we think she's unhinged, so we so, must physically restrain yes. her. We have brute strength and we will always conquer. Yeah. yeah. And and that always bothers me. And I love that they don't do... Like, they, they own, this is the only time they do this in yep. the show. And it's only in dire need. And... They're still afraid of her. Yeah. Like she has such, like clearly she can't take these guys in a fight. Clearly that's obvious. Uh, probably not, but even if, she, but even like, even if, she's got a golden gun and she's yeah, got a knife yeah. in her hoo-ha she's real and she's got, you know, <laughs> like she's got, she's got everything, but she's still, she's a petite woman and yeah. Hugh is huge. He could take, he could overpower her, right. but he finally does have to actually physically overpower her. And it's like, it's like he's got a cobra in a bottle. Worst. Like, yeah, yeah. He's apologizing. He's the apologizing, and time. he's afraid of her. Like yes. he knows he's gonna he got hell to pay for this later. It's basically like holding a cat. It, which I learned and too you late. Don't you, have hold, to, no. you have to clamp them down, and you don't like you're gonna pay for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they will not forget. Yeah, um, and then of course, I mean, then the next scene, the next scene is also one of my top favorite scenes of the entire series, where Franny breaks out using Dot, who holds oh. Hugh up with Franny's gun. So she like steals the gun back, points it at Hugh, threatens to shoot him. He's like, you're not going to shoot me. She's like, I will do this to save Jane's life. I will shoot you in the leg. And then she starts to cry. Yeah, and he and pulls like, out his oh, handkerchief. He's like, oh no, daddy, don't, don't, anything don't, but that. Yeah. Don't cry. Wait, just try it again. Say so it like, again. He's got his hands up, but then he pulls out the handkerchief and like kind of tiptoes over to her hands with the handkerchief goes right back it's with his hands up. It's so good. It's precious. It is so good. And she's like, I've shot rabbits since I was 12. He's like, no, you haven't, Dottie. It's so, <laughs> it's so good. It's just such a wonderful interplay between these two characters. And, it's, and Hugh knows that like somehow like he's going to lose gonna, this. Yeah, he's going to lose this. Yeah. War. So let's make it official. Hold me, you know. Train the gun on me till I get what to the cell. And then they throw him in the cell and lock him in there, which was just so brutal. Insult to injury. I know. Poor it's Hugh. Just, I also think that was probably a bad plan. If ever Hugh plan. proved himself, though, that was the moment. Like, I'm like, you got to marry this dude because yep. you're never going to find anything better than this dude right here. <laughs> you're never going to find another guy who's going to do just that. Let you, like, he just let you hold him up in a police station for your friend. It was amazing. It's such a good scene. And That's it was so unexpected. <laughs> when I saw when I saw Dot raise that gun to Hugh, I was like, oh my gosh, we're in a whole different like this was a whole different level of the show. I just I just remember like thinking of like what I love to like I like to project forward in these characters' lives, like what Hugh and Dottie are going to tell their grandchildren someday. Like, so when did you know you wanted to marry grandpa? Oh, when I held him up at the police station at gunpoint and then I started crying and he handed me a 
handkerchief and let me hold him up anyway. And then I locked him in jail. <laughs> that would be an excellent story. Yeah. I My would. grandma is really weird. <laughs> I think grandma's a badass and grandpa's awesome. In, in 1965 in right. Melbourne when right. she's in Melbourne when she's telling the story. Oh, oh. I love that scene so yeah, very much. Yeah, it's so good. So of course Franny gets out and then rushes right to the university to save Jack and Jane because she knows the reason like she's frantic to get out of there is because she realizes that Jack's in danger. Yeah. Too. Um, and here's where here's where we go off the rails. Mm. I think. I mean, okay. it's already quite, you know, dramatic and campy a little bit, but whatever. So we, when she gets, and it was the, the well, scene that you come mentioned. Come on, there's no sane way to have a stupid Egyptian murder plot. There I mean, really is isn't. there really anything but campy? There's there no, was only one way to go with this. Right. I recognize that. Yeah. But the scene, the very scene that you mentioned had amazing lighting where she's coming down the hall with yeah, her like, gun. Yeah, yeah. So she's got the gun trained on foil and he's able to get it away from her. She had everything in True. her hands right then she could have dealt with the situation but he's so like manipulated her head because she wants the information about her sister and yeah and i just this is the moment where i'm like mm, no i do not think that Bryony would have done this but at the same time this is gonna be this is gonna sound awful but <laughs> it's like it's like when you have bad relatives who are manipulative yeah and i I have people in my family who are like, and I totally understand. And you get home and you say, I'm never going to let them do that to me again. Mm. And then the next time you see them, they totally do it again. And you let them, and you know that you're letting them do it. And you know that it's terrible at the time. And you can like watch yourself letting them do something awful to you. I feel like there's something of that in this because there's definitely a, she, she wants information, but he's also like, she she's strong. It's it's like in Murder in Montparnasse. Like mm-hmm. her fear comes back, even though she's in a better better place and stronger place in her life, and she has a lot more power and a lot more resources at her disposal. She falls apart in the presence of this guy. Yeah, and I feel like it's kind of the same thing. Like I guess I wasn't. I didn't. I didn't side eye that scene as much because that is a very very good way to look at it. Because it is. It's like a continuation of the abuse that she suffered at the hands yeah. of Yeah, and no one can push your buttons like the people who installed them. And right. this guy, like he's not her family, but he might as well be. Like he, she's kind of raised by fear of this mm-hmm. guy. That's and true. This happened when she was really young. Yeah, and it's like he installed this weakness in her. Yeah, I think I think nobody else could have gotten away with it. Yep. That is a very astute assessment of this. Okay. It is still very dramatic. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. It goes off the rails, but, but not, the yeah, thing, you're, the right, thing that you're I, right. The thing that I scoffed at was the, like, let's hold the goblet with both hands while we take the sacrificial okay. drink of the... And he, yes. And here is my thing, too. Of the Kool-Aid. If anyone could pull off the trick where you let it trickle down your chin... Come on, right? Like, could. She's got to have, like, a secret compartment in her bra or something. <laughs> and then you're just like, like, oh, geez, I got a little drip mm, on my chin. That let me wipe that. Mm, yes. Flower pot, flower pot. I wanted Come to on. see that. I wanted to see that and I held out hope for so long that she had done that it really was not until she was like ooh and faints but I guess she doesn't really faint I don't to know be fair called. if she hadn't gotten woozy we wouldn't have been able to see Jack carry her around well yes that is the other <laughs> <laughs> the other thing <laughs> my that is hero. the silver lining to me not getting
fascinating to see how she handles the goblet situation. Um, yes. Okay, and I wrote an entire. We're being terrible thing. feminists right now. Okay, but oh, no, the jump, I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to revive it or whatever. Restore our. Our, our feminist, feminist street cred. I just have to find it in my stupid notes, which are everywhere. Okay, so I really love that scene. It makes me laugh. It is so cliched and funny and like ridiculous <laughs> when he's the, the slow mo scene of him carrying Franny out and little Jane is like you mean the slow mo hot 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 scene. Okay, yeah. I mean when I'm not like oh. Yeah. <laughs> then I really love it because it is so ridiculous and awesome and wonderful. But it turns this idea on its head. So typically when you see this in like an action, like anything really, it's got the, a possessive nature to it. Like I'm the guy who just saved this woman and therefore she is mine. And it's a total like, Ugh me Tarzan Eugene. I just stormed the threshold and this is my prize kind of idea. But in this case, she basically saved herself. I mean, he doesn't get out of the room, the very well-lit vault, I will say. Yeah. <laughs> Surprising amount of light in that vault. But anyway, he doesn't get out you until could she's make a already... You restaurant out of that vault. <laughs> you could. I wouldn't want to eat there. The, the meat is way overdone. Um, <laughs> anyway. And I think there's something in the beverages. <laughs> I wouldn't drink that if I were you. So she's already gotten the gun back and away from him like there was she she pitted the two guys against each other they shot the tussle she gets the gun so she's got the power back the only like she did just drink the poison whatever and is gonna conk out um so that's the only thing so he saves her from uh, like a a knock to the head basically because he scoops her as she's falling but she has already saved herself true so in that way it is very different and he and jane sort of saved him yeah because she's, she knows where to look for the Let's thing. look in the wrappings of this mummy for an amulet because they used to pack them that way. And then we don't, we don't really, so then they find like. apply your school learning, Jane. They find the most perfect amulet ever, like for uh, the souls of children and dead people or I something. Know. I and didn't then, know all the good antiquities went to the antipodes. <laughs> I thought they were all in the British Museum, but no. And I don't, I don't know what the amulet was made out of, but it was something that allowed them to get out of the vault. So we don't exactly see how how Jack uses it. Like he's just yeah. over in the corner, jimmying. Yeah, never mind with that. This the, amulet. The ancient Egypt was, I think, a Bronze Age. Yeah, or like society. Yeah, I don't, it, I don't think they had terribly sophisticated metallurgy. They no. had gold, but they didn't have like steel. It was probably terracotta or something. I don't know. It just didn't. <laughs> We don't we don't exactly closely see let's how just, that gets them out of the yeah. room. So whatever, suspend disbelief. But he gets out there as she's saved herself already. So he, in a gesture that is kind and helpful and loving, makes sure that she doesn't hit the floor and then like yeah. takes her to safety. So it's a completely different take on that whole like I am carrying it's, my yeah, prize. It's not like I'm Richard Gere, I've come to get you or whatever. It's <laughs> Richard Gere. <laughs> First night. <laughs> oh, is there yeah, a heroine yeah, yeah, more yeah. helpless I'm than sorry. Julia Ormond? I'm is sorry. there one? I don't think there is. <laughs> I just did not have Richard Gere in that part, man. And he's but not. You, that is a very valid point. Yes, that is a good, good call. I really so, can't be taken anywhere. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so normally that scene, but also like 
I want to I want to talk about the the hotness of that scene too. Normally, so I mean, besides the let obvious, let us examine the hotness. Yeah, let, let us examine the hotness because normally that is played to be a hot scene because the movie or the film wants us to believe that women want to be wanted and possessed that totally, way. Totally, yeah. And that's the hotness. But in this case, it's totally different. He's like it's a like a friend. nurturing hotness. It's, yes, they have they they have established they've worked very hard in this first season of the show to establish that there's like this good rapport. It's like a healthy, respectful rapport yeah. between these two characters. They are actually friends. They work together really well. They depend on each other. Unfortunately, it is not sexual yet. <laughs> if ever, hopefully. Anyway, um, <laughs> so so I mean they've 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 done so much well, legwork. They've, they've to, made like, out technically. Uh, yeah. Emergency, that was, emergency makeout session. That was session. forced on her. So, you know. Whatever. She loved it. <laughs> okay. I think I'm retracting. Talk about anti-feminist. I'm retracting like, your feminist card I know, right now. I know. Um, no, but it's, the show did such a wonderful spin on this really cliched scene. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. put it in like the best light, both totally. in like just the... And literally the best light because it was gorgeous. It was. It was gorgeous lighting. <laughs> okay. That's the end of that rant. That took up maybe half a page of that, my notes. That was a good rant. Thank you very much. And very, and very perceptive. There may have been some wine involved. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, when I thought when the, the Jane the Jane bit where she's like, look for the amulet in the, or, you know, I don't know, finger bone or something. <laughs> All I could think of was Harry Potter. You know how like the first few Harry Potter books, like they're very careful to show you what they're going to be learning that year. And of course, by the end of the year, they're going to apply what they learn in school to yes. defeat Voldemort right. in some new way. It kind of felt like that. <laughs> yeah. It was sort of like, hope you were paying attention because <laughs> you're going to need this to get out of the room later. It's like a puzzle room. Yeah. Oh, that yeah, would be a good thing. Yeah, were you involved in like yes. setting up a puzzle room? Yes. My Tell husband, the listeners my, at home. Yeah. So my husband, in fact, just wrote a new puzzle that's called a puzzle path. Ooh, it's like the like, whole... Is it is escape room? Is that what they call yeah, it? It's yeah, it's escape room. It is, in fact, in this building where we are recording. Wow. Right do, now. Do, 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 do. With the 1920s bathroom fixtures. Yes. So, oh. There's, I just feel like there's so much more to talk about. Oh, can I just say also, so I get my milk delivered. <laughs> I got totally freaked out. Like first milk delivery after I saw this show, right. I was like, oh. <laughs> I know. I, I was thinking like in the age of roofies, I was kind of, I was kind, of kind of like, well, duh, the milk. But yeah, I mean, everybody Cake had rape. their milk. Yeah. Everybody had their milk delivered and. Yeah, there was a really good I setup. I still get they... my milk delivered. It is 2016 and I get my milk <laughs> delivered. Not in glass bottles, but right. not in, you Maybe, know, slightly, uh, slightly more tamper-proof than it was 90 yeah. years ago. But What are those things called? Pogs? That were the oh milk Oh my God, milk yes. Yeah. They aren't pogs. It's like a metal lid, right? Like a screw top. <sighs> I don't know these things. Originally, I my milk well, the originally the, the milk thing, the milk, whatever those are. Um, were made of cardboard. Yeah. And sometimes that's wood. Pogs. There were wood ones as yeah. well. Actually, um, my, so I collaborate on a series called The Dead Feminists and my collaborator, Jessica, her dad is like the ephemera guy. And one yes. of the things he collected were those milk things. That's right. And they were on display they were in this on, very in building. this very building. I know. Wow. It all comes back to this building. The people now, listening to this podcast have <laughs> no idea what we were talking about right no. now. Sorry. This is why we're professionals. <laughs> <laughs> that was an astonishing collection 
of milk tops. Yeah. Milk, and matchbook milk. covers. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah. Okay. I also have a little segment that I want to call Bad Guy 101. <laughs> I feel like there are a few lessons that we need to learn. Oh. If you're going to be a bad guy, here's the first thing. Mm. Don't store your captives in the same room. True. They can help each other get out. True. Like that's true. Number one. True. Number two, don't tell your plan to your intended target. Oh, but that's, but monologuing is a key symptom. I mean, haven't you seen the Incredibles? The whole <laughs> monologuing bit? So true. Um, number three, don't whisper the very information your captive has wanted to know just before you think they will die. Right. 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 She died gloriously. If you really want to be an evil mastermind, kill them and say, oh, sorry, I'm not going to tell you after all. I mean, come on. <laughs> right. And then they'll die going, no! I mean, really. Yeah, that's, that's how you're that's a real bad how guy. That's how you evil genius. That's how, yeah. And then uh, don't tell the location of your previous victims and have them all nicely in a row. Because that's just too yeah. helpful for yeah. everybody. Like, yeah. That's not very evil geniusy of you. So. I feel like we also should have mm-hmm. evil henchmen 101. Yeah, definitely. Because, okay. Maybe don't all look alike. <laughs> Also, maybe don't trust your evil leader that he's going to spare you at the end if there's yes. only room for one person in the, in the mystical afterlife. Definitely. Because, hello. Don't. He did all his monkey work for him, and then, <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm dead yep. at the end. Don't <sighs> turn if you hear a noise behind you. Yeah. There are a lot of lessons, a lot of lessons to be learned. Also, in Evil Genius 101, mm. don't hire morons for henchmen. Right. I know. Although I guess they have to be somewhat moronic because if they are too smart, they're going to overthrow you. Yeah, that's true. Which but Teresa like Cavalli can... was a little too smart. Yep. Tried to win. You know. Got his victim away. You're right. That time. You're right. It was Professor Rhodes. He was like by far the best of the henchmen. But did the dumbest things at the end. Uh-huh. But Finey really like was an expert at pitting them against each other. True. I was admiring her, her true. skill there. You know, she could have gotten more information if she'd slept with him. <laughs> it works for the fortune teller episode. It's true. Sleeps with the dude and then yep. <laughs> breaks the sanctity of the boudoir. I draw the line. <laughs> <laughs> draw the line at murder. Yes, oh. that is true. Hmm. Okay, well, that was my, that was my little bit. On bad well, guy and the first, guy, the first victim that we see with after the grizzly murder, I mean, we knew he had to be a henchman because didn't he just look like a total henchman <laughs> to you? Because I was yeah. like, dude, you could have been hired by Tony Soprano. <laughs> he just screamed evil henchman. Yeah. So then we have the gravesite scene, which is a very touching scene because we yeah. really never see Franny ever again, like break down to this level, and which that, makes sense. It was so beautifully filmed. Mm-hmm. And that bit where she reaches behind her and grabs oh, Jack's hand. Yes, and his hand is right there. And it's so, I mean, once again, you have this wonderful friendship between these two people and she knows that he's like right there, yeah. ready to, to support her. Yeah. And he already was there. He like ushers her to the grave as, you know, after it's been open. And it, but I, he, mean, he I feel like, like that was space. really the moment where they transition from this group of friends. First, it's like this group of kind of adversarial bantery. They're on the same side, but... Right. Then they become this group of friends. And now, like, that moment, I'm like, okay, this is her family. Yeah. Dot is her family. Hugh is going to be Dot's family. Like, right. it felt like family. Like, who else would you go to fun- a funeral with? You go with your family. Right. 
I have to say, why was Mac not there? Why wasn't Mac in this whole, like... She's at the very end. That's it. Mac needed to be in Mac this. Mac needed to be in this. I feel like, I mean, and I, How I, again, awesome would Mac have been at that costume party? Right? And there are so many places Dude, she could have gone as Sappho. Hello. She, oh, that would have been good. Hello. But, and, and, and Franny mentions that, like, Mac says this was a tool used in um, embalming. So, like, Mac had been right. consulted off camera. But she needed to be in it. It would have been so much better. And it already was awesome. Why not add I know. the level of Mac in there that would have made it, like, Plus, awesome. she would have, like, r- like, taken the suit meter up to uh, 11. Yeah. Yeah. On all fronts, it would have been mm. vastly improved. But I, I do feel like it was a glaring mistake to not have her. And she wears ascots better than Professor <laughs> Doofus over here. Yeah. She can out-ascot Let me show day. you how it's done, my friend. <laughs> so, yeah, um, that was my complaint. But very, <sighs> you know, whatever. And also, I mean, Franny's parents, did they not come for this? Whatever. Whatever. Well, her dad's probably drunk somewhere. Yeah, her dad, yeah. And her mom, I her mysterious we'll ever, mom is like pining for the fjords out in England somewhere. Like, I wonder if we'll ever meet the mother. I'm and what very about RP? Yes. And I Arthur. Know. And Arthur. And like, I know. You know, I didn't I feel think like, about that at the time, but you're right. I didn't think about it until I watched it just this last time. And then I was like, wait a second. I don't get why there aren't family? more people here. Yeah. Like, and, and actually then why are Dot and Hugh there? I don't know. But I mean, he, but Dot is. Is that, but okay, let me, it's been a. I didn't. I didn't watch this as recently as you did. Um, I, yeah, I probably watched this. Is it hours really ago. her funeral, or is that just when they finally discover where she's buried? Because she's buried oh. under the willows. I don't think they rebury her at That's that point. That's true. That's true. So maybe maybe it is more appropriate that okay. the family because we probably this don't want Aunt P there for the grisly exhumation of That's the murdered true. body. Is, that is what this is, isn't it? It's yeah. Not, but it feels like a funeral. Uh huh. It feels yeah. Yeah, but you're right. There's a more formal thing still but to happen. It, it's interesting because, yeah, the cops have to be there to exhume this body. But but it does feel like a funeral because she's so close to these people that it is like mm-hmm. having your family there. Well, and it's her. I mean, Franny is finally coming to terms with the actual resting place and like what actually took place. And, and it's like it's it. sort of like the psychology of, of like being manipulated by your abuser it's also the psychology of this information you've been questing for your whole life in the end do you really want Mm -hmm. to know the answer and part of you does and part of you doesn't right you know part of you is craving that closure but part of you just doesn't want to know what happened because Mm -hmm. it's too awful to contemplate and i feel like she played that so well she really did and she looked a knockout in that beautiful scarf let me just say (laughs) That floral black, like, like she's got this pop of color on this all black ensemble and the black straw hat. And, oh, but I've got this, you know, It was understated, pink. but still very elegant yeah. and beautiful. That's true. So the very last scene where they're in Franny's kitchen and she's signing the statement. Yeah. And they're just staring at each other. And stupid Mr. Butler and stupid Dot. <laughs> Stupid, stupid people. You interrupted the ISEX. Oh, geez. Although I think it was going to continue all night. Like, they are just not moving. They are like wax figures sitting there staring at each like, other. Either she's going to like go all praying mantis and eat him, <laughs> or like something good's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> but it can't because they're interrupted. But. Well, at least just be thankful Julian Fellows didn't write this because he'd be dead by now if he did. <laughs> 
He was, she would like Jack. have closure with Jane and then she'd look longingly right. at him and then like a safe would fall on his head. Yeah. Like, or he'd, he'd cough and you know that meant he oh, had TB. tuberculosis. <laughs> yeah. He'll be dead in three months. Right. <laughs> Keep Jillian Fellows far away from this show, please. But they walk such an interesting fine line there at the end. Like we've established that they are friends and they rely on each other. And he was incredibly helpful and kind and, you know, wonderful and supportive in this, in this situation. And then you're wondering, like, is this going to go to the next level? And it seems like but they... But would that be gauche? I think that would be gauche this soon. At least at that time, yes. Yeah. But the scene where she sweeps into the parlor... <gasps> and that and does that twirl in that uh, ostrich feather... Yes. I don't even know what you call that whatever. garment. What is that garment? Is it a wrap? Yeah. Is it a, yeah, it is a It's a stole. It's a like stole. A, yeah. Well, yeah. It's long and drapey. And I love how they draped it. Like, they wrapped it around her arms so that it doesn't come off. Like, it's not just wrapped. It's, like, double wrapped. And again, it's a very, like, Cruella de Vil look, but she rocks it so hard. Yes. That is... I th- I think that is my favorite episode. Or and I favorite. Doesn't out- her skirt like have pleats in it or something? So we see like as she's twirling, we see. I feel like there's pleat action. There happening must be here. because it is. It's surprisingly full when she twirls. Yeah. But that twirl that she does. So I think I called out the judo scene in um, Queen of the Flowers as like being this perfect distillation of her character. Yeah. Being like really pragmatic and trying to help these women and. This is another like one. Like she's teaching a Just, judo at a comportment class. Right. And, and here, it's so perfect. And here it's like, this is She's perfect, mourning her murdered sister and she's the life of the party. Right. She's, but it's like a, and the song that they're playing, it's all about like, tomorrow's a new day. Yeah. And you watch her and she's just in her glory in mm-hmm. this stunning outfit. Every, I mean, earrings, like everything is just stunning. And she's doing this twirl and then they do the slow-mo. And I seriously, I could watch that for days. Yeah, just, seriously. Just that, that spin. Just keep it going. I want to go to her birthday party. I know. I want to go to any party that Franny is at. Yeah. Or even better, hosts. Um, and I also love that, like, I feel like any other show would have used this opportunity for Franny's birthday party to make some dig at women getting older. Oh, really? Or like women oh, of a certain of age or whatever, like, oh, it's my 45th birthday or whatever it is. Yeah. And they just didn't. No. They just don't go there. And Help I, me to celebrate. Hallelujah. And then they Like, because, have... you know, it's this stereotype that women are terrified of birthdays right. and they hate getting older. And she's like, yeah, give me my birthday party. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she just like attacks head on all the things that women are supposed to be afraid of. And this is one more. Yeah. And then, and then you see like Mac and Sess are doing one of those 20s dances. I don't know if Charles is it the Charleston. It looks like the Charleston. Okay. In the background as she's coming through the hall and it's just, it's so good. And then, and then the epic, epic eye sex across the room. (laughs) Epic. (laughs) And then the twirl with the wonderful music. And that obviously I am so glad that this was not the end of the show. But it it would have been perfect. It could have been. Yeah. It could have been. It was so glorious yeah as a finale and it oh and i think they even knew i think that they had season two um wasn't they the weren't plans. sure yeah and season they, they, i think season, season three, three was, was not one. assured at that point right yeah season three was the one up in the air but i think that they had the first two seasons so they were they knew this wasn't gonna be the last one but yeah it could have been it was just so perfect <sighs> oh season one i can't believe we've done all of season one yeah. I'm like I'm sad that's a 
um, that's more than a third. That's more than a third of the way since stupid season, season three is too short. Episodes. Yeah, no. but uh, this show, it's so good. It makes me so happy. I know that there are things that I wanted to talk about, but one can only talk for so long. <laughs> I don't have the slightest idea to to whom we should toast. Oh. Yeah, I hadn't even considered. I haven't even thought about it till now. This okay, time. all right. Well, let's see. We've What's... got we've got fairy tales. We've got Egypt. We've got the big bad wolf. We've got. How about to like a new tomorrow or something? I don't know. It's like feel like yeah, like Franny gets to start afresh. Yeah. Now that what is? Oh yeah, I also like the conversation they have when Franny invites him to the party. They're right at her front door, and unfortunately, Dot is there because they get very close. Then Dot's there as a chaperone. I need you to remind me to not be afraid of the shadows. Hey, that's a good toast, actually. Oh. Yes, it is. <laughs> not being afraid of the shadows. I like it. All right. All are, right. You, are you still recording, or did you? Yeah, I'm recording now. Okay. So, uh, we don't have clinky glasses. We have we have cups with Downton Abbey jackets that's though. True. That's I true. Th- that's all right. That's legit, man. <laughs> <laughs> what are we toasting? <laughs> Not Sorry. being afraid of shadows. All right. Well, I think to season two, which is around the corner, and there's going to be a lot more danger ahead for Franny. But let's toast to hopefully not being afraid of shadows. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Just uh, don't touch the fudge. Right. <laughs> Iced, iced bunt cake.